Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Winston Churchill Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and today we're going to be talking about censorship and history, and how censors tend to not learn from history. From the time that we're little children, people tell us things we shouldn't do. Don't touch a hot stove. Don't lick a frozen lamppost. Don't put the cat in the dryer. As we get older, we get a new set of warnings, like don't wear white after Labor Day, don't pet a stray raccoon, and don't mix Tanqueray and wine. The vast majority of the time, we listen to none of these warnings, and we often go out of our way to do just the opposite. This fact of human nature seems to have been lost on the merry pranksters and school boards and legislatures across the country who foolishly believe that banning, removing, and otherwise censoring the books in our school libraries will keep kids from reading them. They think that a pronouncement from on high will be obeyed without question or protest, when they can't even get the same kids to make their beds in the morning. Silly, stupid censors. Their efforts are doomed to failure, but before getting into why, let me make one thing clear from the start, so that my comment section doesn't explode over something I'm not even talking about here. There have been, and will continue to be, repeated battles over what books children are required to read in school. This is a debate with valid arguments on both sides over issues like the age appropriateness of a book, and should be hashed out with calm and common sense, with the input of both parents and educators, not politicians. Unless you're some kind of sadist, you would not require a six-year-old to watch a double feature of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. We have age restrictions on everything from films to the minimum age for operating a vehicle for a reason. Now with the age appropriateness question out of the way, pulling books out of school libraries that are not required reading simply because they offend some people is the type of censorship that would have had Joseph Goebbels dancing with glee if the Nazi book burner could dance with glee while burning in hell. It's also completely futile, as history has repeatedly proven. Let me give you two examples. Back in the glorious 1980s, the deceptively named Parents Music Resource Center convinced the recording industry in America to slap warning stickers on albums that contained music, quote, unsuitable for children. Apparently the catalyst for the movement occurred when then-Senator Al Gore's wife, Tipper, heard her 11-year-old daughter singing the Prince song, Darling Nikki. It's worth noting here that 40 years ago, both Democrats and Republicans spearheaded this censorship movement. Attacks on intellectual freedom come from both sides of the political divide. By 1987, our albums were adorned with those lovely black and white stickers in in every local record store. Those targeted included artists you would expect to shock parents who forgot that they listened to The Doors and Led Zeppelin back in the day like Prince, Motley Crue, ACDC, Twisted Sister, Poison, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, and more surprisingly, Sheena Easton and Cyndi Lauper. 
The censors thought they had struck a blow for decency, especially when stores like Walmart refused to sell albums that displayed the dreaded sticker. But as record stores were not legally required to keep kids from buying them, the labels actually became a marketing tool for the bands. If your album was sporting that dire warning, it didn't guarantee a hit, but it didn't hurt. If the man says it's bad for you, it must be good. Most people get their music on streaming services now, but the label exists to this day. Individual record companies and artists decide for themselves whether to use the notice or not. But in any case, the Parents Music Resource Center achieved their goal. Today, none of our music, whether metal, rap, or country, contains anything offensive to corrupt our youngsters. I sure sleep better at night knowing this. The other example is a more bookish one, which you should expect from me. Censors should have known that their nefarious plans would prove futile from the example, example of one man in one novel, Dan Brown and his mega-hit The Da Vinci Code. Now, you may love Dan Brown and may adore that novel, in which case I'll pray for you. But even his most ardent fan would have to admit there's no logical reason that such a pedestrian novel would sell 80 million copies worldwide. Except that there is an unexpected collaboration between evangelicals and the Catholic Church that attempted to stamp out the, quote, blasphemous and, quote, heretical book. Numerous critics had slammed the book not just for the poor writing, but for its huge number of historical and religious errors. As is often the case with literary, literary critics, no one paid much attention. The book might have enjoyed a small spike in sales from the mini-controversy and then just faded into obscurity. But then the churches got involved. Some went so far as to burn copies of the novel, a practice that is unforgivable even for a Dan Brown book. As was the case when pastors sold kids to burn Elvis and Beatle records in the past, the people who burned theirs in front of their church ran to Barnes & Noble immediately afterward and bought another copy. The Vatican not only denounced the book, they appointed Cardinal Tarsicio Bertoni, the Archbishop of, Gen of Genoa, to debunk the errors. And as has been the case for 2,000 years, if the Vatican said something was bad for you, Catholics wanted it, especially American Catholics, and they bought the book in droves. The censor spearheading the removal of books from school libraries might say that their righteous efforts will prevail where Tipper Gore and the Vatican failed. I disagree for a simple reason. To use just one recent example, before the county commissioners of Llano County, Texas decided to remove several books, including Cast, The Origin of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson, they called themselves the KKK, The Birth of an American Terrorist Group by Susan Campbell Bartoletti, and It's Perfectly Normal, Changing Bodies, Growing Up, Sex and Sexual Health by Robbie H. Harris not to mention a few books that were about farts in the children's section of all things. I had heard of none of these books. The county commissioners changed that. Their attempted censorship not only, not only alerted me to their existence, it alerted me to the fact they were under threat. Now I may still not read most of them, in fact I probably won't read most of them except for maybe Freddy the Farting Snowman, but I have talked about it and written about it on several platforms as have numerous other people. All of their madness is done is let more people know that the books are out there, which is significant in a market with enormous competition. Rather than squashing the books, they've only helped get the word out about them. 
I wonder how long it'll be before someone writes a book solely about these idiots banning books. How ironically cool would it be for a book like that to rocket to the top of the bestsellers list because some Florida school board banned it? A crazy notion, you say? Then consider that metal icon Danzig's biggest hit, Mother, was a direct response to the Parents' Music Resource Center. Here are just a few of the lyrics. Mother, tell your children not to walk my way. Tell your children not to hear my words, what they mean, what they say. Mother, mother, can you keep them in the dark for life? Can you hide them from a waiting world? Mother, that seems like a pretty good place to close. Stay vigilant, my friends, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. Thanks a lot.